you're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good morning. How are we doing, City Church Downtown? Yeah. So, I hear that intro music. It makes me want to, like, start a mosh pit down here in the front or something like that, right? So, those of you who have been here the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been in this series called Tribe City, and we've been looking at these lessons from the rhino, and one of the things that we've seen is that when a rhino runs by itself, it's pretty strong, right? But when a group of rhinos or a tribe of rhinos run together, it's like almost unstoppable because rhinos go in these groups called a crash. And there's a reason they're called a crash because whatever gets in their way better move because a crash is fixing to happen. They're about to roll over whatever is in their way. And that is much like our lives in that Um, we are like a tribe of rhinos, and when we roll together in Christ's biblical community, it's like we're unstoppable in our lives together. Now, one of the questions we asked last week is, who gets to run in the rhino tribe? And we said that it's even those people, you know, those people that make us uncomfortable, those people that, that have made mistakes in their lives and have fallen far and have um, um, been hurt and been abused and struggled in this life, but we welcome everyone here to come and run with the Rhino tribe. And this week, we're going to deal with a question that goes something like this. Here, here's how it rolls through people's minds, is that some people think, well, you know, I've believed in Christ and... Um, um, I'm going to church and all that stuff, but for some reason, uh, you know, that, that whole thing about running with a tribe of rhinos sounds very exciting, doesn't it? Sounds exciting you know, and so lifeless, like it has no spice in it at all, see? Well, we're going to deal with that today, um, you know, and have you ever been to a place like another country where you go there and you get something to eat and it doesn't taste very good? And you're like, man, this is not good food, okay? Like, I've been to parts of Eastern Europe, you know, you eat the food, and you're like, where are the spices? No spice, see? Uh, And then I remember one time I went with uh, our friend Fidel Rubio, who runs the orphanage that we help to support. I went with him out into the mountains of Mexico, and we were driving around doing some ministry there to the Tarumara Indian people, and then uh, he took us to this little place, and we got these tacos, and of course, I got al pastor, right? <laughs> Which is the taco of choice for pastors everywhere. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, that was my first time to have the al pastor. And when I put it in my mouth, I don't know what to say other than it changed my life, dude. <laughs> it's like the spices just exploded with flavor in my mouth. And I thought to myself, that is a taco. That's going to be one of my favorite tacos in my whole life. Now, check this out. Someone's excited about the El Pastor, right? <laughs> but can you imagine, what would tacos be like? Just the regular tacos we eat. What would they be like if they didn't have any spice in them, right? And so think about some of your favorite foods. Like uh, the other night, I went to dinner with some friends Friday night, and I had fajitas. What would the fajitas be like if there was no spice in the fajitas. Now, uh, there are a lot of other things that I like to eat, and so when I'm talking about some of the things that I like to eat, I like to go sometimes to Las Nieves, you know, and you get the shaved ice, you know, and I get the mangonada. 
And what would the mangonada be like without the chamoy and without the lucas? I'm not having it. It's just ice, dude. But you put that lucas in there and that chamoy. And it's like comes from God. Worse yet, what if we walked out of church today and we all are fired up, you know, I was smelling chili out there. You, what if you walked out after church today for the chili cook-off and it's just meat without any spices? See, not having it, are we? It's like we've got to have the spice. See, got to have the spice. Well, have you ever met a person who lacks spice? Now, they may have plenty of personality and they may have some spicy language from time to time, but they make no real impact on this world. That's a life without spice. So today, we're going to look in the Bible and see what it has to say about spice and what is the main spice that's mentioned in the Bible that we're to be characterized by. Well, it's salt, right? Some of you know it's salt. So today, I'm going to take you through a topical Bible study on salt. Uh, Salt was so important to Jesus that he mentioned it in three out of the four Gospels. And so it must be significant for you and I today. So let's start uh, with Dr. Luke, and he explains the high price of being a spicy tribe. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 34 and 35. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, it's thrown out, see? Salt without spice is worthless. And so um, one simple idea I want to submit to you today, and this would be our big idea for the day, and it's just this, is that spicy tribes who pay a high price to make peace will have a powerful impact. If you are willing to pay a high price to make peace, you'll have a powerful impact. Now, we just read from Luke 14 about salt, right? That we're supposed to be salt, and if we not have salt in our lives, if we don't have this spice in our lives, we're not really useful for anything but to be thrown out. Now, one of the things I want to teach you today is not just some Bible verses, but it's how to interpret, how to look at the Bible. And if you want the nuances to different passages that are in the Bible, you don't just look at the verse, but you look at the context in which it is written, see? And so most every passage has other context verses. If you ever met someone that they'll just lift individual verses out of the Bible and they can say whatever they wanna say, can't they? But we don't do that. We don't just lift particular verses out. We want to understand them in their context. And so what are the contextual verses for Luke 14, 34 about salt? Well, it's Luke 14, 25. Look at it with me. As it says, a large crowd was following Jesus, And he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? See, Jesus is pretty hardcore on this, and he challenges you and I to a high level of commitment, and he compares it. He doesn't say, hate your family. 
That's not what he's saying, but he's saying in comparison to your commitment and love to me, it's like you hate everyone else. And I wanna show you a little chart that I call the challenge chart, and it speaks to the culture we wanna have here at our church. See, we don't want you to just be consumers, right? Have you ever met church consumers? They just come and consume and consume and consume and never make a difference in the world. We don't want you to be consumers who have this high invitation to relationship in the tribes, but a low challenge spiritually. We also don't want you to be boring people, right? Boring uh, churchgoers, uh, that's where you have a low invitation uh, into relationship and tribal community and also a low spiritual challenge given by uh, the leaders of the church. Um, we also don't want you to be stressed out. Some of you have been to churches where you're stressed all the time because what happens in those churches is the pastor is just yelling at everybody and lambasting everybody and making everybody feel guilty and they feel like that's what a connection with God is. That's dysfunction. That is not uh, a connection with God, but we don't want you to be stressed out where we give this low invitation to relationship and an overly high spiritual challenge and never uh, come alongside and help you lift the burdens in your life. But what we want is to have a discipling, empowered culture here at our church where we give you a high invitation into relationship, in tribal community, in groups and classes and the like, uh, and also a high challenge of commitment. And I think that commitment is captured well in the words of a pastor and author named Francis Chan. He said, if Jesus had a church in Simi Valley, Mine would be bigger. People would leave his church to attend mine because I call for an easier commitment. I know better how to cater to people's desires so they stick around. Jesus was never really good at that. He was the one who said, he who loves father or mother, son or daughter more than me is not worthy. And you know what? I think that's probably true here in San Antonio and a lot of our churches as well, is that us pastors are overly nice, but Jesus is straight up and he is hardcore and he says he wants to be the premier number one priority in all of our lives. And so to further understand this, um, we need to understand some more context, right? So this this verse, these verses from Luke were being taught to Jewish people. And what would be on Jewish people's minds when they hear about salt and it becoming worthless? Well, they would no doubt think about a story that all of them knew that's in their Old Testament that they read and meditated on and thought about all the time. And they all would have known the story of Lot, his wife, and Sodom and Gomorrah. And God told uh, Lot and his family, you get out of Sodom because I'm about to torch that place. And when that was going down, he said, you get out and you don't look back. And what does Lot's wife do? Look at the scripture in Genesis chapter 19, verse 26. It says, but Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of what? Salt. She looked back. She disobeyed, number one, by looking back. But have you ever met someone that comes to relationship with Christ and then keeps looking back at the old life and longing for that lifestyle, right? Looking back, man, it sure was fun back there. Well, first of all, the good old days aren't as good as you remember them to be. Um, but second of all, we don't look back. We look to the future. We get a vision and a passion about what God's gonna do in our lives in the future. We're not looking back. We're moving 
ahead, see, as a tribe of rhinos together. And we know that the future holds even greater levels of commitment to Christ, even greater levels of laying down our lives for the sake of hurting people in our world that need the gospel and that need love and grace and truth in uh, their lives. So with that in mind, Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying right now when I speak of Christ's commitment because some people would tend to think of Jesus as a taker, not a giver. But I want you to understand that Jesus will never, ever require something of you and I that he won't give us back something that's even better. Jesus is a giver. He's not a taker. And if some of you remember, and maybe if you haven't heard this story before, it's of a rich young guy In the New Testament, he's known as the rich young ruler. I mean, he had everything, man. He had like the Armani suit. He had, I mean, if they would have had cars back then, he would have had a pimped out ride, man. I can picture his camel, if he rode a camel, like in the hump, it had like the in-hump stereo system. It had curb feelers. It had bass. It's like bouncing down the road with hydraulics. You can see that camel basin as this rich dude was hauling down the road. But Jesus says to him, hey, dude, you want, to have, you want to be great in the kingdom? You sell that stuff. You sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. And that's all the guy heard. All the guy heard was Jesus wants me to sell all this stuff. But what he didn't hear was what Jesus was really telling him. You know what Jesus was really telling him? You sell your stuff and I'll give you. I'll give you treasures in heaven. See? Jesus was trying to give him treasures in heaven. But all the guy could hear was, you've got to give up some of these earthly trinkets. That's all he heard, and that's what most people hear. They don't understand that Jesus is a giver and not a taker. And his disciples were like, hey, Jesus, we've already done what you asked that guy to do, so what about us? We've already given everything up. And look at what Jesus says to him in Mark 10, 29. He says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, by the way, and in the age to come, eternal life. See, Jesus is trying to give us something but it takes a commitment all the way to submit to him in every facet of our lives. Now, another thing that Mark, while we're in the book of Mark, Mark shows us how spicy tribes make peace. Spicy tribes make peace. Look at Mark 9, 49. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning. We've already seen this, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live at, what's that word? Peace. Live at peace with each other. So remember, we're talking about making sure we put verses in context, not just lifting them out. And what other verses around this verse help us to understand the context of what was going on here? We'll look down at verse 38, Mark 9, 38. John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group or in our tribe. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone 
gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. Have you ever met Christians that create unnecessary enemies? They want to be an enemy with everyone. They want to gripe and argue doctrine with anyone and everyone that disagrees with them. And Jesus is saying here, why do we need to make so many enemies? We're going to stick to our distinctive beliefs, no doubt. But let's be at peace with other people. That's how salt makes peace with other people. Now, to get a Jewish understanding of this, what would a typical Jewish person who was hearing this think about when they think about making peace? Well, they would have thought about uh, a custom back in those days, uh, in the Old Testament in particular, called the covenant of salt. Now, the covenant of salt was mentioned uh, during different sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament, but here's another place that the covenant of salt came into play, is that if there were two people that were not getting along and they were fighting with each other, they would come together and create an agreement or a covenant with each other so they could get along. And when they did this, they would have a meal together is what they would do. Uh, And the old saying in the Middle East is, there is bread and salt between us. So basically, bread and salt, a meal with salt, represented the healing and uh, making right of a relationship, see? Making peace in a relationship in the Middle East. And so when you're being spicy salt, it means you're tolerant of other people, Jesus followers from other tribes. That's why here at City Church, you'll meet people who come from all different kinds of Christian denomination backgrounds. You'll meet Catholic people and Methodist people and Presbyterians and Baptists and uh, Charismatics and uh, all different kinds of people. And we keep our distinctive beliefs here. We're not going to change the truth of the scriptures, but we're going to major on the majors and minor on the minors. In fact, there are people within our church who have different interpretation of different scriptures, but the main thing we say here is we believe the Bible is inspired by God. We're going to read it. We're going to study it. We're going to learn it. We're going to live it. We believe the Bible. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. We believe that he did miracles when he walked the earth. We believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. We believe he's going to rise again from the dead. And we believe that someday he will come again and take us to live with him forever in heaven. Those are the majors. But on the minors, we can have peace. Can we not? We can have peace. But look at what Matthew taught us, how spicy tribes make a powerful impact. And he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, You're the, again, salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And so, again, we're going to ask the question, what's the context first? How do we understand what salt means and the nuances of it in Matthew 5.13? Well, that comes in Matthew 5.16, where Jesus says in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And so what's going on here is that our spicy actions and our spicy words will show the world that God is good. He's good and he's for them. And we must show through our actions and good deeds that God is good. You know, have you ever met someone, that Christian, that always wants to tell people how to live 
and speak something into their life before they've done anything. But see, the way we do it here, we serve first before we speak anything into anyone's life. You serve people first, and then you earn the right to be able to have a spiritual conversation with someone. And that's why Paul would later say in Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation always be full of what? Grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. But a lot of Christians think that salt is the meal. But salt is just seasoning that you put on the meal. See, if you're an overly salty Christian, you don't taste very good. Have you ever over-seasoned and over-spiced something and you're like, dude, that's a little too much for me. Okay, let's back on off the salt on that situation. And I think that's true of people who want to salt everyone around them, okay? Have you ever seen that movie, The Water Boy? You see Bobby Boucher's mom? It's like, foosballs of the devil. Little girls are of the devil. Football's of the devil. Everything's of the devil. You ever met that person? Okay, have you ever seen like those people, the Westboro Baptist Church people, and they're like always uh, spewing hate at everyone? It's all salt and no love, no grace. No wonder nobody listens to them. In fact, you know, those people ought to be spanked because that's ridiculous. But we want to spice things with salt. And look, spicy tribes are willing to pay the high price to serve people and produce things that are good for humanity, not just for Christian people, but for the whole world, right? And historically, spicy Christians who have salt in them, who sprinkle the world with salt, bring value and good to all people through things such as hospitals. Like, you ever go to Methodist Hospital and receive some good? Because Methodists, are, it's a Christian mission to serve people, right? Uh, it's like at Baptist Hospital and Christus Santa Rosa. All these are uh, formed and, and were founded by Christ-following people who wanted to spice the culture. Or how about the abolition of slavery? That was done by Christ-followers who were spicing our world, like William Wilberforce in England, who started the uh, movement to abolish slavery there. Of course, here we're most familiar with Martin Luther King Jr. And his vision, his message, and how he carried it out was thoroughly and absolutely Christian. The creation and naming of cities was because of spicy Christ followers who wanted to season the world. So if you look at cities, the names of cities, like Philadelphia, that comes straight from the Bible, meaning the city of brotherly love. Then there's also Sao Paulo, Brazil, which was named after St. Paul. Here in Texas, Corpus Christi, that means the body of Christ, right? Then there's San Francisco, which was named after St. Francis of Assisi, who had such a connection to the animals in creation that it said that at one religious ceremony, there was a disruptive flock of birds, and he was able to quiet them through prayer. And then there's San Diego, which was named after Diego, who was known for risking his life to teach others about Jesus Christ, and uh, then, of course, there's the most important city, which is San Antonio, right? Which is named after, yeah, everybody's fired up about that, named after St. Anthony or Antonio. It's a city created on Christian 
mission, the San Antonio de Valero mission, later called the Alamo. And we're here today in this city enjoying things like fajitas and barbecue and Big Red and the rodeo and fiesta because of a Christ follower who is spicy seasoning our world. And we worship God in a neighborhood called St. Paul Square, and I think Paul might like what we're doing here in St. Paul Square, the neighborhood named after him. Look, spicy tribes are willing to pay a high price to make peace and will have a powerful impact. And you and I are spicy. We season the world. That's what we do at the grassroots level. We spice up our world when we volunteer at Kid City and in the parking team. We spice up our world when we're willing to be an ethical employee and all the people in our department see how we follow God through our ethics and our hard work ethic and we're willing to sacrifice and love them sometimes even sacrificing our own bonuses in order to be ethical and treat everyone right in the office. We're spicy when we serve our neighbors and we know that a neighbor can't get out and do her lawn and we go over and cut the grass. See, we're spicy when we serve serve our neighbors and have the conversations with people about Jesus so they can come to know him. And what if our development here in St. Paul Square and people in the inner city and around downtown said, I don't know if I agree with those people at City Church on everything, but I do know this, they bring good into our city and they care for and serve people in the inner city. Now, I was riveted to a book that I read called Ghost Soldiers. It's a New York Times bestseller by Hampton Sides. And it's a non-fictional account of over 500 American soldiers who were in a POW camp uh, in World War II controlled by the Japanese. And as you can see in the picture, these men endured awful kinds of uh, abuse and brainwashing in this POW camp. In fact, they were malnourished, they were dealing with tropical disease, and they called themselves the ghosts of Bataan because uh, they felt like they had been forgotten, and they were there suffering, uh, enduring awful kinds of brutality uh, that I, won't, I don't even want to tell you about because it would ruin your day. Well, as America was winning the war, the Japanese became more and more volatile. And these prisoners knew that, hey, they're just gonna kill us anytime because the Japanese knew that an American invasion was imminent. But in order for these soldiers to be rescued, uh, a group of people would have to commit themselves to walk 30 miles through enemy territory and they'd have to be willing to take these POWs out if necessary, carrying them out on their backs. And it was over 500 of them that needed to be rescued. And so, Colonel Mucci spoke to his unbattle-tested, unknown group of Army Rangers, and he said, look, if you're married or if you're unsure about this mission, then back out, don't go. He said, this mission is gonna be volunteer only. And all 120 of these Army Rangers raised their hands, and volunteered to go on this mission. And they walked for the 30 miles, and they got there, and they were successful. They were able to rescue these POWs, the ghosts of Bataan, 
they were successful on this mission, and it was the most successful rescue mission in all of World War II. Now, one of the things that's interesting in the book and interesting in this story to me was what happened when these army rangers got there to the barracks where these uh, ghost soldiers were housed. They got there and they said, hey, uh, you guys go to the front gate. We're here to set you free. And the prisoners ran from them. They didn't want to be rescued. And they said, guys, don't you understand? They kept trying to convince them, well, what was in the prisoner's mind, they'd been so brainwashed and so abused, they had no hope. The Japanese told them, there's no hope. You're never gonna uh, escape from here and they believed that it was just a trick of the Japanese to lure them outside so they could more easily execute them all, and they wouldn't leave. In fact, the rangers were getting frustrated. They're like, hey, you're wasting precious time, man. We've got to get out of here if we're all gonna live. And finally, they convinced these prisoners to go with them. And what I'll never forget about this story is that as they were walking away, one prisoner was just crying. He was just crying. He's like, I thought we were forgotten. I thought we were forgotten. And one of the rangers looked him in the eyes with fire in his eyes, and he said, you were not. You're not forgotten. And here's what I want to say to you. Some of you feel like you've been forgotten by God, that there's no hope in your life, that you've fallen too far, you've been hurt and abused perhaps, and you've been led to believe that God could never love you, God could never accept you, there's no hope for you, and we're here today to tell you, you are not forgotten. And you can come to love relationship with God. And there's a loving tribe who sacrificed to be here to let you know that you are welcome to come and receive Christ and you're loved here and you can and will be set free if you would so choose it. So with that in mind, let's bow for prayer. And as we bow before the Lord, if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ and you would like to know God and you want to have hope, I want you to just talk to him just for a minute and just say to him, look, Jesus, I know I've sinned. And right now, the best I know how, I choose to believe that when you died on the cross, you died to pay the penalty for my sin. And God, I welcome you into my life to set me free spiritually. If you just prayed that and you'd like me to know about it, I want you to just peek up at me real quick. I'm going to look over here to my right. Yeah. Right on. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yeah, I'm looking over here to my left. Anybody just pray that over here to my left over here? Yeah. See someone just raising their hand. Yeah. Now I'm looking in the back room best I can. Back there. Anybody back there? Just pray that right back there. So glad. Yes. You're not forgotten. No, you're not. He sees. Father, I want to thank you for those who just prayed to begin a relationship with you. And I pray you fill them with hope in the Holy Spirit. And for the rest of us who already know you, Jesus, I pray that we would be spicy tribes of people who are willing to pay a high price to bring people to peace with you 
And we pray that we would have a powerful impact. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.